hold on a minute. Now, an <laughs> even larger guy with slick back gray hair and a big gold badge around his neck said, son, go get breakfast. And like an idiot, I said, well, I have my breakfast. And I showed him my bag. He said, go to Delmonico's and sit in the restaurant and don't come back until lunchtime. We mm. have no interest in you. I said, is there a problem? He looked at me and goes, son, I'm with the FBI. If there wasn't a problem, we wouldn't be talking. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Today's episode is sponsored by the Valuation Masterclass Online, the complete, proven, step-by-step -step online course to guide you from novice to valuation expert. Podcast listeners can claim your amazing 35% discount by going to myworstinvestmentever.com slash deals. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guests, Mr. Dante Michael Vittoria. Dante, are you ready to rock? I am ready. Let's do it. So for over 30 years, Dante has been running his own firm, the Vittoria Group, which has broad experience in working with companies of various sizes to fulfill its clients' financial needs. The client base is extremely diverse, ranging from international money centers, domestic banks, insurance companies, and financial firms. The group provides a vast array of financial services specifically tailored to enable clients to meet their goals, the assistance, direction, and access to professional banking and other facilities. Dante, take a minute and fill in any further tidbits about your life. All right, well, growing up in Brooklyn, I've been a Wall Street guy for too many years, almost almost 35 now. I never thought I'd ever be in finance at all. You know, we were kids in Brooklyn worried about playing baseball and chewing gum and, you know, going to Catholic school and all that stuff. But I was a baseball player. And after college, one of my buddies said to me, well, what are you going to do now? And I said, well, I don't know, get a job somewhere. And he said, well, my dad wants to talk to you. And I said, oh boy, did I, you know, did I borrow money from this kid or did I, you know, did I do something to him? His dad was a chairman of a pretty small but very successful investment banking firm. So he offered me a job. I laughed and said, oh, I, you know, I, I don't want to take a subway to work every day. And ha, ha, ha. But I did. And uh, that's, that's how I got on Wall Street. I've never left. So I, I must have liked it a little bit or I couldn't find my way home or something. But uh, that's, that's what, it, what it all happened. And uh, here mm. I am today. And just curious you know, what, what's the difference between Wall Street today and Wall Street when you first started? Like, what would be some of the little things that you've noticed, you know, that have changed so much? Well, it's the retail broker is gone. The guy calling up, you know, the client, hi, Mr. Jones, you know, I work at such and such a firm. Can I have 30 seconds of your time? I'd like to introduce you. That was a, that was an industry. And you, you had guys who made careers out of doing that, built businesses. I mean, Merrill Lynch and, and Lehman Brothers, they had such uh, great programs, uh, such great successful programs, building brokers and teaching brokers how to do business like that. It's all gone now. Mm. It's all gone now. And I think the, the downside to that is every investor thinks, you know, if they open up a, I don't want to say, you know, TD Ameritrade or Charles Schwab, so I guess I shouldn't, they think they know everything. To me, that's ludicrous. That's like I go to my doctor. And I diagnose myself. No, 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 no. He diagnoses me. That's why I pay him. I don't fix my own sink. I'm not a plumber. I don't fix my car. I'm not a mechanic. Everyone seems to think they can run their own investment portfolio. And 
I'll tell you, Andrew, they're wrong. Mm. They are wrong. Yeah. What What's interesting about that is that you know that was a that workforce at Merrill Lynch and you know Lehman's and others was a pretty highly trained workforce. You know, I mean, obviously aggressive and all that, but you know that sales. But now, probably what exists of that is you know scammers out there that are trying to get people's money and. You know, unfortunately, you know, an industry, you could say, has gone. Well, that's an interesting insight. Well, it's time to share your worst investment. And since nobody goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to this. And then I'm just laughing here because I'm just, I'm just imagining the story you are going to tell. So take it away, Dante. Andrew, I'm ready. As I said, I, I, a buddy of mine... His father, you know, asked me to come and work for him, and I did. And I'm there about, oh, I would say maybe a month, month and a half. And I'm learning the ropes. I hadn't even, you know, I didn't even know where to go to the bathroom yet. And um, here I am. They come to me and they say, oh, I have a, we have my vice president over there, our, uh, our three-year-old puppy. <laughs> here we had the boss. Sorry about that. No he, problem at all. We're a family. Says, we're a family podcast. <laughs> she's, the, she's the biggest part of the family. She's three pounds, but she's uh, she thinks she's a lion. Anyway, <laughs> they have this this company, and I don't know. Should I say the they're out of business and litigation is all gone? It's a doctor in Florida, and back in the, in the days, the AIDS crisis was just hitting our country. Hmm. So this this doctor, his name was Stanley Chase. He comes up with this idea. He's got one of these walk-in medical places in a strip mall. Yep. And his gimmick was, and I say gimmick, scam. His scam was to take your blood test and announce you AIDS-free and mm. give you basically a credit card. So now when you go out to the clubs in Boker and South Beach, you're a candidate for the pretty gals because you're AIDS-free. Oh, okay. so, <laughs> great scam, right? <laughs> Hey, honey. Take, beautiful, right? Yeah. They're going to take this guy public because a couple of the brokers were down there and, you know, they, they decided to take their advantage of this guy or take advantage of what he was offering. And they come back with these little blue cards. Ah, look at this. I'm great. Yeah, that's great. Okay. So in any event, they decide to take him public. The whole firm is behind this. Every broker from the, the rookie to the 75-year-old retired guy who'd come every day and have a cup of coffee and read the journal. And Zalongo was push the Quotron buttons and, you know, chart his three or four stocks that he had in his, in his portfolio and talk to his buddies and, and everything else. Everybody was buying this. It was the greatest stock since IBM. Again, I'm dating myself. Oh, they're going and they take it public. It's, it comes at five. It was one of those old time deals. I don't know if your listeners will even remember this. You know, five, two shares of A, three shares of B, and two warrants for five bucks. Hmm. Stock blows through, closes the first day about seven bucks. Next day, you know, Mr. Jones, I told you, you got to buy more. Oh, let's get more. Let's get more. So these two, the two biggest brokers in the firm are behind this thing 100%. And they're buying and buying and buying and buying and buying. Nobody's selling, of course. Everybody's buying. There were maybe 5 million shares in the float. They probably had about 15 million shares on the books. So it's waiting for a big-time short seller to just come in and just plow this thing. Mm. So I come in, and, and I'm standing there, and hey, young, married, just, just married. I had maybe 50 grand to my name. But back then, that was a lot of money. But, honey, 
this is what we're going to do. My wife, God bless her, still with me. I can't so much for her taste, but she's, she's a good kid. She's got a lot of heart anyway. She's a beautician, doing very well. She says, look, I don't know anything about this nonsense. You do your thing. Make us, make us millionaires. Well, that's what I went down to Wall Street for, honey. You got it. So I go to the bank. I get the check. I come in. I, I drop it in my account, and I buy $50,000 worth of this nonsense at twelve fifty or 13 bucks. <laughs> 1750, 1950, 22. I said, man, listen, I almost doubled my money in like a month and a half. I go up to the trader with a with a ticket to sell. He looks at me, and goes, What's wrong with you? Son, this is this doesn't get any better than this. Don't do this. Just keep it. I said, Yeah, but he said, nah, I'm telling you, look, you're our favorite guy. You're a rookie of the year. Don't worry about it. You're the greatest. The chairman loves you. Everybody loves you. You're a cool guy. You wear great suits. You tell great stories. You smoke cigars. You're, you're, you're 22 years old. You act like a 50 you're on a good way. You drink the right booze, everything else. Nah, nah. If anything happens, we'll tell you to get out. I'll keep the ticket. Okay. Well, I go home and I said, honey, I didn't sell it. She says, really? You think you should? You know? But I said, yeah, you know. Don't worry about it. A week later, the stock's trading at $31. I come home and I say to her, honey, look, look, $31. She said, well, that's nice. Can we sell it now? No, 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 no worry about it. So that was a Friday. Monday morning, and I'm an early riser. I like to get in the office, you know, market open night. I have to get there about 8 o'clock. So we're living in Brooklyn. I get on the train. I get down to Wall Street. I get off. I get my coffee and donut, my little brown paper bag. I go up in the elevator. I step off the elevator right into a... I don't know, it may be half the size of the Empire State Building in a brown polyester suit with slick back hair and a big gold badge around his neck. And I said, uh, I'm on the wrong floor. He goes, no, you're Vittoria, right? I'm like, uh, yeah. He goes, well, we have no interest in you. Hold on a minute. Now, uh, an even larger guy with slick back gray hair and a big gold badge around his neck said, son, go get breakfast. And like an idiot, I said, well, I have my breakfast. And I showed him my bag. He said, go to Delmonico's and sit in the restaurant and don't come back until lunchtime. We mm. have no interest in you. I said, is there a problem? He looked at me and goes, son, I'm with the FBI. If there wasn't a problem, we wouldn't be talking. So I said, is, is everything all right? He said, it's breakfast time. <laughs> he pushes the elevator button. And he looked at me and goes, goodbye. No more questions. Nice talking to you. <laughs> so off I go. He pushes the button. I go down. I come out into the lobby. There's cops, plain clothes, detectives, FBI, SEC, MOUSE. Who the heck knows? Everybody's got badges and this, and they're on walkie-talkies. And our security guy at the desk goes, hey, Dante, you okay? I said, yeah. He says, where are you going? I said, they told me to go to breakfast. He goes, oh, you're great. You're good then. Go to breakfast. Yeah, you're good. I said, why? You ever seen this before? He goes, yeah, everybody's getting locked up. If they told you to go to breakfast, you're okay. I said, locked up? There was no cell phone back then. So I run down the street. I get, get to a paper and I call my wife. She's in the middle of, you know, giving some lady a perm or something. Honey, she said, well, don't worry about it. You didn't do anything wrong. You, you're, you're fine. Never thinking about, you know, this money that I have. Mm. I come back and the firm had four people in it, two secretaries, the chairman, and me. So I looked at the chairman and said, so, so what happens now? He goes, well, the good news is, I said, there's good news. He goes, yeah, for you. I said, well, You're the most is? senior person in the, the company now. Chairman, the vice chairman, right? 
exactly. You're number two. I said, well, what about my portfolio? He goes, son, when you have one stock and it's an over-the-counter nonsense, it's not called the portfolio. It's called put on a blindfold and throw in a dart. I said, where did the dart land? He said, not too good. He said, you had 50 grand? I said, yeah. He goes, you probably got about 50 cents. I said, oh, okay. He goes, well, the good news is because you're the vice chairman of the firm. We'll make up a business card for you. And um, you can probably sell that to your wife. I've met the woman. She's, she's kind of nice, huh? I'm like, yeah, I don't know if she's that nice. <laughs> <laughs> so I came home. I said, you know, honey, that, that, that house in the Hamptons and the, and the, the boat, you're retiring at you know, 25. You don't have to stand on your feet anymore and you know, do perms and stuff. And she said, yeah. I said, yeah, forget it. <laughs> Not happening. <laughs> for a couple of years anyway we got that she doesn't have to work anymore with the house out in the hand because we got a boat we got all the all the bells and whistles but not that day so i gotta tell you Andrew, that was by far and away the worst investment i ever made oh and what did your wife say how how understanding was she of that actually she was good she she would throw the dig once in a while you know that the commercials would come on back there you know when ef hutton talks people listen she she'd look up and go maybe you should have worked for ef hutton <laughs> stuff like that but yeah, all in all it was not a it was not a happy day and basically it was like our wedding money was you know, mm. so you know i said well the good news is we're still married she goes yeah well the, the bad news is i'm still married to you <laughs> You know, stuff like that, but you know, and, all in all, she, she's forgotten. It. And you're not in jail. That was the really no, good news. not in jail. No, thank goodness. <laughs> and what I, happened I to all those guys? They all wound up. Most of them were disbarred. You know, sanctioned from the industry, thrown not not disbarred, but mm. thrown out of the industry, lost their licenses. Those that didn't either did do some federal prison time, or you know, sanctioned you know, two three years suspensions and such the analysts went to jail the two head brokers went to jail most of the principals went to print all the trading guys went right clearly and the only reason i think that our chairman and ironically enough my buddy's friend my buddy's dad rather didn't go because he was a fixed income guy his whole career and very well known so he was like james labenthal and he was right underneath labenthal in the um notoriety department so everybody mm. knew he had nothing to do with an over-the-counter right know, any nickel and dime pump and yeah. dumps plausible deniability yeah he he, he and, and he was you know he was in his 60s and you know i don't think he he ever had a parking ticket and if you ever saw mm. him with a, a scuff on his shoe that was you know major news so he, <laughs> he didn't really do anything wrong and fortunately he he did but you know he's till the day he passed we'd have a good laugh every once in a while about it but uh, the origin story yes and what what lessons did you learn from that? There's an old expression, you know, bulls and bears eat and pigs get slaughtered and um, people are sheep. Yep. And just because it's great for Andrew doesn't mean it's great for Dante. It might just be horrible for me and great for you. And you always have to take the time. And I tell my clients to this day, and I don't, you know, I don't sell stock. I, I finance companies and things like that. But I tell, you know, clients will come to me, oh, I, I need $10 million. Whoa, 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 whoa. Why? What are you going to do with that money? Well, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a debt raise. No, you're not. Why do you want to sell some of your company when you take debt? You take a mother-in-law. You got another opinion. You don't need it. What are you mm. gonna do with the money? Maybe tinker your product. Maybe do something. Take a small loan with a bank. Do something as opposed to you know just taking on debt or something like that. And right. You just don't do that. 
sounds good. You know, the grass is always greener, and there's an old expression on Wall Street too: the grass is always greener until you smoke it, and then. Uh, and <laughs> and I guess in that case, also from your perspective as an advisor, you kind of realize that you've got to, you know, make sure that they're doing sensible things with the money rather than playing games and all that. Sure. So that's another aspect of it. We had a situation. If I have, I can give you a B. Yeah. A client who came to me and asked to for like a twenty-five million dollar line of credit with a bank, and I I had just finished one with a company and we had a new rule that I had to, if it was a five year window or whatever it was, I had to be a consultant to the firm that took the money. This guy beefed and screamed and everything else. And I said, well, you want to go talk to the bank? It's the bank's rule. It's not my rule. It was a a rather large bank in New York. Mm. We went to the bank and one of the, one of the senior people there said, we made a loan. You know, Dante's firm had nothing to do with it, but we made a loan to someone and they went out and spent about 80% of the money on things like cars for senior executives and golf club memberships and things like that. And we don't want that ever to happen again. So anyone that brings us a deal has to stay on as a consultant to watch our interests. And the guy was so bright. He said, well, I don't play golf. (laughs) The banker said, do you drive? <laughs> He's like, well, yeah. He goes, Dante is with you or you don't get the money. What if I don't want him? He said, well, then we don't trust you with our money. Mm. So we trust him. We don't trust you. So guess what? And I just looked at him and said, you can, we can pack up our briefcases now because you just shot yourself in the foot and we just lost the deal. Mm, yeah. You know, be careful when, when a bank asks you for something like that, they're going to wind up paying for it anyway. Yep. It's their yep. money. Yep. So, yep. Right. And based on this story, you know, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid? You know, obviously there's two aspects to this. One is, you know, losing money on betting on that one stock. And the other one is, you know, be careful in the financial world to stay away from, you know, criminal behavior or else you could end up, you know, in trouble. What would you, what advice would you give? In any investment, I think in anything that you do, know when you're getting in, but more importantly, know when you're going to get out. If you buy a stock at, and I think I, my, my purchase prices were, were 12 bucks or something like that, and, you know, basically, I would be happy with 15, mm. 25%. And, you know, you can't be mad if you make 25% on your money yep. in a year. Yep. You know, it was over doubled. Get out. Set your bar. There's an old joke, you know, a guy cold calls and opens up an account with Andrew and he, you know, buys a thousand shares of XYZ and it's at five bucks. He says, look, Andrew, it's going to seven. When it goes to seven, I'm going to call you, we're going to sell. Two days later, it's seven. Broker calls Andrew. Andrew, let's sell. No, let's hold on to it a little while. A couple of days later, it goes to 10. Andrew, let's sell. No, no, no. 12, 15. Finally, Andrew says, look, the next time you call me to sell, I'm going to fire you as a broker. I'm going to give it to another brokerage firm. Okay. Now the stock goes up to 20 and now the stock starts to fall 16, 12, eight. And the broker calls, Andrew calls the broker and says, sell. And the broker says, to who? <laughs> <laughs> oh, not now, you know, at, at 18, we could have sold it all locked in a profit and you're golden, yep. but you know, got to have a, a clear entrance point and an exit point. Never chase an investment. 
and don't run too long with an investment. Very, very similar to sports. Yep. You know, it always, the old adage is always get rid of a guy a year too early, then give him a new contract and be stuck with him when he's not performing for two, three years. Yeah. And I think what I take away from that too, is the idea that this, if you can't bring yourself to sell the whole thing, sell half. Exactly. You yeah. know, sell 25%. Yeah, that's it. And uh, so, yep, great. And from the, you know, those days of kind of walking into, you know, FBI agents and and all of that, I'm just curious, like, what advice would you give a young person who is actually kind of around some people that may be doing criminal behavior and they're in the financial world? What advice would you give? There's so much information now. You know, FINRA is there. Your broker record is online. Just Google search and things like that. And, you know, you have your U4s and things like that. I remember when I started, you could tell a, a client anything mm. and watch the movie Boiler Room. Great movie. Yep. You know, I'm the president of the firm. My name is. Well, no, you can't do that anymore. So mm. you just have to go with your eyes open. I, I used to do a, a radio show in New York on finance and things. And I used to, my, my big tagline was ready, aim, fire. You want to go to work on Wall Street. Okay. What makes you think that you get off the train and you, you run down the street to the stock exchange, you didn't even see the big hole you fell in. What do you want to go most? What do you want to do? You want to be the guy that sells coffee on the corner. You want to be an attorney. You want to be an accountant. You want to be a broker. You want to be a trader. You want to do bonds. You want to do stocks. You want to do equity debt. There's a million things. So the first thing you have to do is talk to people that do that and mm. learn what's out there. When you do that, now you're ready. Yep. Now you have to figure out what you do. So you aim. You look at who's hiring. What's a good firm? Now you figure that out. Now you aim. Now you go in and you do your interview process and you put your fancy suit on and shine your shoes and comb your hair and put your best foot forward. Just don't fire because if you fire, you usually don't make your target. Right, right. Do, so your, do your homework before you get out there. I have to. Yeah. All right, last like question. Oh, okay. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? My number one goal for the next month, for the next year or the next month? Yeah, next, next year, 12 months. Next year. next year. To have a better year than I had this year. That's usually the this, this same goal every year. Do a little better. And even not if it's better financially, better business, cleaner business, smarter business, stronger business, finance companies that are actually doing things. Don't, I don't, I'm at the point where I can pick and choose the projects I get in. Fortunately, I don't have to. I don't do anything that if, you know, I'm sitting at a dinner party, somebody to tell them what I'm working on, somebody raise an eyebrow. I don't do anything in the medical marijuana or cannabis industry. Whether mm. it's legal or not, it's, it's a preference of me. I don't do anything with any country that might not be a favored nation tomorrow to the United States. Right. You know, things like that. Obviously, something that would impact the quality of life of a child or right. you, know, a, a, you know, a person, a good person. Yep. Stuff like that. Great. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, Visit myworstinvestmentever.com. And Dante, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about losers, but our <laughs> listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Just do your homework and stay strong and have an exit strategy. It's easy to get in. Sometimes it's hard to get out, you know? Yeah. It's and like quicksand. I'll add in and have a good wife. <laughs> yeah, have, a, have an understanding way. But she does well at Bloomingdale's, though, so don't uh, – There you go. It's not always a one-way street. There you go. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside.